The text for this afternoon's worship service comes from Lord's Day 37. You can find Lord's Day 37 on page 554 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 37, question and answer 101, we read, but may we swear an oath by the name of God in a godly manner. Yes, when the government demands it of its subjects or when necessity requires it, in order to maintain and promote fidelity and truth to God's glory and for our neighbor's good. Such oath-taking is based on God's word and was therefore rightly used by the saints in the Old and the New Testament. May we also swear by saints or other creatures? No, a lawful oath is a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No creature is worthy of such honor. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Lord's Day 37, we have a continuation on the explanation of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. While Lord's Day 36 teaches us that we may not take the Lord's name in vain by blaspheming or abusing his name, but rather we only use his name with fear and reverence. Lord's Day 37 focuses on one aspect of the third commandment, on the matter of swearing an oath. We may have reason to wonder why the writers of the Catechism devoted an entire Lord's Day to this matter of swearing an oath. Oath-taking is not a controversial subject for us today, and many of us give the matter very little thought. In the time of the Reformation, however, things were different. On the one hand, there were the Anabaptists who taught that you may never swear an oath at all. They pointed to Matthew 5, verse 33 through 37, where the Lord Jesus said, do not swear an oath at all, but let, let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. On the other hand, there were the Roman Catholics who swore many oaths and did not just call upon the name of God, but also swore by the saints or other things. But the matter of making and keeping an oath was also of great concern to the people of the Reformation. The Roman Catholics accused many Reformed believers with breaking the vows they had previously made in the name of the Lord. Many people, such as Martin Luther, had vowed in God's name to be a monk, not get married, or made similar vows. But now that, but now that they were no longer part of the Roman Catholic Church, they had discarded those vows and the Roman Catholics charged them with dishonoring the name of God. And so Lord's Day 37 was largely written to give a biblical response to the challenges raised by both the Anabaptists and the Roman Catholics in the time of the Reformation. Today, the question of what is a lawful oath and when and how such an oath may be made is no longer cause for much discussion or dispute among us. And yet the biblical teachings that we find concerning the oath in Lord's Day 37 are good for us to learn today. For today the oath has by and large lost its sacredness and a godly fear of the Lord's name is often lacking. Our yes is no longer yes and our no is no longer no. Our nation no longer links honesty and truth speaking the honor of God's name. But the Bible tells us that we should. And so that this uh, afternoon, I wish to preach to you 
the word of God concerning the oath under the following theme and points. Protect the honor of God, God's name through the right use of the oath. First, we will see the need for the oath and in a second place, the significance of the oath. To take an oath is a solemn and serious undertaking. It is as answer 102 of the catechism explains, a calling upon God who alone knows the heart to bear witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. We make such oaths in the form of a vow in church, when we profess our faith, when we make our wedding vows, when we say I do at the baptismal font, and should we be ordained for a special office of minister, elder, or deacon. At such times, we make our promises before God and the congregation, and so these promises have, have the character of an oath. But it is especially in the sphere of the government of the land that we are called upon to make oaths in which we explicitly call upon the name of the Lord. When we go to court, we are given the opportunity to hold a Bible in our right hand and say, I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It is understood by the courts that such a vow has religious significance. By taking such a vow, we are calling God to be our witness and to punish us severely if we fail to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That makes oath-taking a serious matter, and because oaths are of such a serious character, it is appropriate that we do not make them lightly, nor do we make them often. For an oath that is unnecessary is an abuse of the name of the Lord, since such oaths are no longer made to his glory, nor do they assist in promoting the truth. In the days that our Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth, it was common for Jews to make oaths that were unnecessary and unlawful. The oaths that they made did not use the name of the Lord, for they refused to speak the Lord's name in fear of dishonoring it, but they swore by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or the temple. According to Matthew 5, verse 36, they even swore by their own head. But these oaths were not made to maintain and promote the truth, nor to honor God's name. Through swearing by things other than God himself, the Jews thought that the oaths were not so strong and they, did no longer, they were no longer bound to keep their word. It was in that context that Christ pointed out that such reasoning is hypocrisy, and so that he told them that since such oaths promoted the lie and not the truth, they ought to drop the oath altogether and simply let their yes be yes and their no be no. But when the Lord Jesus told the Jews not to swear at all, he was not forbidding the right use of the oath. In fact, the rest of scripture commands the right use of the oath and we read many instances when oaths were made. In Deuteronomy 10 verse 20, Moses commanded the people of Israel, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. To take a lawful oath was commanded by scripture and such oaths were made by the saints in both the Old and the New Testaments. And to get an understanding of how these oaths functioned, it would be helpful to read some of them. In the book of Genesis, Abraham made a vow in chapter 21 and it says in verse 22 through 24, and it came to pass at the time that Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you and in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with, the, with my posterity. 
but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will not do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Further in Genesis, in chapter 31, verse 51 through 53, Jacob swore an oath to his father-in-law Laban. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is, the, here is this heap and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us and Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. From the context, particularly Genesis 31 verse 42, the fear of his father Isaac is clearly a reference to swearing an oath in the name of the Lord. And so by means of an oath, Abraham and Jacob made a solemn promise that the word they spoke could be trusted. A similar vow was made in Joshua 9 when the Gibeonites came to Joshua and the people of Israel and tricked them. Joshua and the leaders of Israel then swore an oath, promising not to harm the Gibeonites. This vow was made hastily and to their herd, but, and, but af, even after they discovered that they had been tricked, they upheld their, upheld their vow rather than dishonor the name of the Lord. Joshua 9 verse 19 says, Then all the rulers said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch him. Another hasty vow was made by Jephthah in Judges 11 verse 30 and 31 where it says, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. But after he had won the battle and returned home, his daughter came out to meet him and then Jephthah responded in verse 35 saying, alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me for I have given my word to the Lord and cannot go back on it. But in this case, Jephthah should have gone back on his vow. His vow was sinful and not based on God's word. The Lord would not have been pleased with Jephthah's sin and by carrying out his vow, he actually added to his sins. So this is an example of an oath that should not have been made and should not have been kept. Another vow that was made in the time of the judges, this time a right vow is recorded in the book of Ruth, chapter three, verse 13, where Boaz promised Ruth saying, as the Lord lives, he would perform the duty of a kinsman redeemer to her if her other relative refused to do so. Number of oaths also recorded in the book of Samuel, in 1 Samuel 24, verse 21 and 22, Saul said to David, therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul. And there are more oaths in the Old Testament such as the one David made to Bathsheba, promising her that Solomon would be the next king or the oath to the prophet Elijah made to Obadiah in 1 Kings 18, verse 15. Oaths were made in the New Testament also. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 23, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, I call God as witness against my soul 
that to spare you, I come no more to Corinth. It was necessary for Paul to speak under oath in this situation because of his credibility had been challenged. People were saying that although Paul said yes, yes, he did not, he did not do the yes and so his word could not be trusted. But Paul insisted that just as God is faithful, so his word could also be trusted. Verse 18, where it says, but as God is faithful, our words to you was not yes and no. Because Paul's honesty was being challenged, it is therefore necessary for the honor of God's name that he swear an oath by calling God to be his witness. Another oath in the New Testament can be found in Romans 1, 9, and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And in the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ also swore an oath, Every time he began saying, truly, truly, I say to you, we can understand this to be him underlying the truth of his words in the form of an oath. In this way, he impresses on us that he who is the truth vouches for the the truth of his words. And the Lord Jesus also spoke under oath at the time of his crucifixion when he stood before the high priest. Matthew 26, verse 63 and 64 say, And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Jesus Christ himself spoke under oath by the living God and declared to the high priest and to the world that he is the Christ, the son of God. For that that he was charged with blaspheme and declared deserving death but he was right to speak under oath for in this way he maintained and promoted faithfulness and truth to the glory of God. Under oath, Jesus declared who he really was and so we can be absolutely certain that it was because he was the son of God, that he was crucified for our sins and that salvation can be found in his name. And there we have the need for the oath. In a sense, we always speak under oath for every word we speak is spoken before God. But the oath is still needed so that we might declare with certainty the things that are true. In this sin-filled life where man asks what, what is truth and concludes that the truth is relative, the oath must be used to proclaim that truth is to be found in the God of truth. And the God of truth who alone knows the heart is called upon to bear witness to the truth so that by his name might be glorified and we can be assured the truth of a person's word, not because he is always truthful, but because God bears witness to the truth. It is therefore a blessed privilege that we may swear an oath, mindful of our sins and weakness and our need to be sure of what is true. The Lord has given us his name to confirm that which is true. And in his mercy, the Lord does not only command us to use his name when making a lawful oath to maintain and promote the truth, but he has done the same. He gives us the promise of the covenant under oath. Hebrews 6, verse 13 through 18 says, 
For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiply you I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability that is the unchangeable nature of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The oath is needed so that we might be convinced of what is true for the glory of God and for the good of man. And that brings us to our second point, the significance of the oath. The significance of the oath is, as the catechism says, that through it, fidelity and truth may be maintained and promoted to God's glory and our neighbor's good. How the truth benefits our neighbor's good, that is the honor and reputation, will be explained further in Lord's Day 43, when we consider the ninth commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But how does the oath give glory to God? We read together in Deuteronomy 10, where it says in verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. The same command to serve the Lord and to take oaths in his name can be found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Taking the names of the Lord on our lips in the form of an oath, therefore, is an expression of our worship and our relationship with him. It is because the Lord has redeemed us to be his people that we are to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways and to love him, to serve him with all their heart and soul. And it is in that context that we are called to make our oaths in the name of the Lord. This also explains why it is a grievous sin to swear by the name other than the name of the one true God. For in swearing an oath and calling the Lord as witness to the truth of what we say, we, de- we declare him to be the one who both owns us and knows us. He alone knows our hearts and he alone is the judge of our souls. Only God has the right to be called upon when we make an oath. Calling upon another person or saint or thing, even in jest, is, is a denial of the great God, the one who is mighty and awesome. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. In addition to this, taking the name of the Lord on our lips in the form of an oath is not just a testimony of truthfulness of what we say, but it is a testimony of the truth of the word of God. And for that reason, it is most appropriate to hold a Bible in our hand should we be called to swear an oath in court or for any other lawful reason. But this also demonstrates the seriousness of the sin of lying while under oath because we invoke the name of the Lord when we swear an oath. The sin of perjury is not sin against man in the first place, but it is a sin against God. For when we call upon the name of the Lord to declare that what we speak is the truth, then should we lie, we attempt to rob God of his honor and his truth. The sin of lying under oath defiles the most holy name of God, for it calls the God, for it calls the God of truth to bear witness to the lie. 
But when we speak the truth in the name of the Lord, then his name is glorified. For then our truthfulness bears witness to the truthfulness of God in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18 through 20, but as, a God is, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. The trustworthiness of the words of Paul were a testimony to the trustworthiness of the words of God. And all of God's promises came to their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In Christ, the Lord has given us the ultimate proof that his word is true. And so the oath bears witness to the truth of God in Jesus Christ. We are called to swear an oath by the name of God, for in doing so, we call people not to the truth of our words in the first place, but to the truth of the word of God that has been fulfilled in Christ. By swearing an oath by the name of God, we declare that our father is not the father of lies, but the father of truth. And it is in him that we speak the words of truth. And there we find comfort in the oath. The lawful oath is a testimony that the sure promises of God are firm and steadfast. The sure promises of God that he himself has confirmed us in an oath is the hope that we have as an anchor for our souls. And just as an anchor holds a ship firm and steadfast, so the unchangeable, oath-bound promise of God holds our hearts fast to Jesus Christ and the salvation that is ours in him. Our use of the oath is a declaration of the hope we have in the unchanging nature and word of God and the oath he has sworn. His word is firm and steadfast. His oath is sure, and now Jesus is in heaven for us as an oath-bound guarantee that we too will be there with him. For all the promises of God in him are yes. His word is true because God is true. Amen. Let us respond.